You're listening to Nonprofit Confidential, episode number 18. Hi there, welcome back to Nonprofit Confidential a podcast for nonprofit talent who want to empower themselves to create exceptional impact on their communities. I'm your host, Sheila Nimishakavi, the founder of Third Suite, and I am obsessed with nonprofits solving the most pressing needs facing our communities. I've spent over a decade helping nonprofits unlock their potential and increase their capacity to create real change. If that sounds like what you're into, well then, you are in the right place. So today's episode is brought to you by Third Suites Book Club. This is a free virtual book club, so you can join it no matter where you live. Each month, we'll discuss a new book that is relevant to our field. And within our private Facebook group, you can share questions and comments as you read the books, and each month, we'll hop onto a call and dig deeper into the themes of each of the books that we read. This book club is for you, so if there are books you want to read or certain topics that you're passionate about or problems you're trying to work through, bring them to the group. We can all learn together and weigh in and ultimately build stronger organizations. If you're interested and want to join our private online book club, just head over to bookclub.thirdsuite.com. So today I'm doing another FAQ episode during which I'm answering your questions and questions that I receive frequently. I really enjoy doing these episodes because it allows me to address the questions that I get asked across all communication channels. So in person, during workshops, with consulting clients, through DMs on Instagram and messages on Facebook. So if you're listening to this episode and I didn't answer a burning question that you might have, then please reach out anytime. I'll be sure to either directly respond to you or if not, then I will add it into one of these FAQ episodes. Let's jump right into it. The first question that I get asked frequently is, my nonprofit doesn't offer direct service or have any real opportunities for volunteers other than events. How can we engage volunteers, especially large groups? So this is a really tough one. There are many nonprofit organizations that do not offer programs that are really friendly for volunteers to come through, especially large groups of volunteers. But engaging volunteers, as we know, is a great way to grow your presence in the community, attract potential donors, and engage with corporations. In fact, some companies specifically ask you how you're going to engage their employees in volunteer work when you apply for a sponsorship or a grant. So, of course, you don't want to just create a project so that you can engage with volunteers, especially if that would mean spending money to create a project. So what options do you have? I would suggest that a good starting point is to recruit volunteers to do a function that you're currently paying for. Let me give you an example. 
Let's say you pay a print and mail facility to print out your annual newsletter and they stick it into envelopes, print out the labels, and get the mailing out. They're charging you for each of those functions. Instead, could you perhaps save money by recruiting volunteers to help with this project? And while they do this project, which honestly may not be very fulfilling work for the volunteers, could you maybe have a participant and staff address the group? Since, you know, things like stuffing envelopes can be pretty monotonous work, perhaps you can build in some information and inspiration through a presentation. Staff could provide information about what the nonprofit does, and perhaps a participant can speak about how your nonprofit specifically helps them. There are several similar projects that are kind of along the same line, and I, I kind of think of them as like assembly line projects. So things like arranging care packages, organizing in-kind donations, other types of mailings, folding shirts for the upcoming walk. And again, this is pretty dull work, so you definitely want to build in some element of inspiration or fun to break it up. Another idea is to actually send your volunteers out into the community to raise awareness about your nonprofit and your mission. So what this could look like is you would train volunteers and provide them with all of the information about your nonprofit, maybe give them some brochures or flyers to reference, and then ask them to go to locations around the community that you serve and engage the public. The idea is to inform the public about the issue your nonprofit helps to solve and exactly how your nonprofit addresses it. I've seen some organizations that will even have this person collect names and email addresses of people who pass by and are interested in learning more about the nonprofit. Or, you know, perhaps I'm sure you've seen this too um, people can go around collecting names for a petition or for a campaign. I see several benefits in this particular type of volunteer work because you can do this anytime. You're not waiting for the next mailing to get a group of volunteers together. Rather, they can tell you when they're available and you can very easily arrange this project. The only issue I could possibly see would be weather since they may be outdoors or traveling. But this also helps because a lot of times companies have their day of giving or some kind of a give back day and they have already scheduled that day into their calendar ahead of time. So when they reach out to your nonprofit to, to schedule volunteer work, they already have this day booked. So if that doesn't work with your calendar, it's a missed opportunity. But if perhaps you have these kind of standby ideas of things that volunteer groups could do for your organization, then you can capitalize on those opportunities every time they arise. Another benefit that I see is that because these volunteers are, in essence, teaching the public about your nonprofit, they're really going to be able to internalize the information and will remember it. I think this is a fun idea as well because everyone will have different experiences that they can talk about as a group when they get back together. So I hope these couple of volunteer ideas hopefully will help you get started. Okay, on to question number two. What tips do you have for creating a budget? This is my first time and we have a lot of new programs. 
I know a lot of organizations will start from the current year's budget to draft the new one and just kind of tweak it to make the next year's budget. I think this works okay when there aren't many changes from one year to the next. You can look at this year's budget, compare it to the actuals, and figure out where the variance is. For instance, if you only budgeted $5,000 in office supplies, but you really spent $10,000, you could analyze the difference there to determine why you had spent so much more than budgeted. Is the $10,000 the true amount you should be budgeting? Or was there a special circumstance that caused that variance? Like perhaps you got a grant specifically for office supplies and it had to be spent down before year end. So in this way, you can start from the current year's information and just make tweaks when you're making next year's budget. But if you're starting from scratch, maybe your organization is fairly new or you have so many new programs that comparing this year to the next year is like comparing apples to oranges, in this case, it's better to start going program by program to determine the specific expenses associated with each one. So list out your programs and perhaps get all of your staff into a room and just do a brain dump of everything you need in order to run these programs. List everything from snacks to transportation to office supplies and just everything you can think of. Then you'll take all of those items and put them into the correct budget line items or categories and figure out the income you would need to run the program. You would do the same for all of the events that your organization holds. When it comes to administrative expenses, write out all of your annual expenses, things like insurance, um, web hosting, then go on to your current monthly payments, so things like your Wi-Fi bill, phone bill, email service, and on and on. Essentially, you want to be able to look at total expenditure for the year and total income and know exactly what accounts for that total. So if you've budgeted, let's say, $1,200 in operational expenses, you should be able to say something like, okay, that $1,200 annually is made up of $100 per month, and the $100 is made up of $50 for the phone bill and $50 for Wi-Fi. The two line items that I found that can be quite variable are printing and office supplies. Sometimes you can't really plan for these exactly because the cost of printing went up or you used up supplies quicker than you thought you would. And that's totally fine. You just want to build in a little bit of a buffer. It's better to be overly cautious in my opinion. So expect to spend more and expect to raise less funds. I also feel very strongly that all nonprofits should have a line item in their budget for staff development. This would encompass learning opportunities such as webinars, conferences, coaching, workshops, books. These should be learning opportunities that focus not only on the latest methodologies or research within your own cause in the nonprofit field, but also training in the nonprofit sector in general. But how much to budget can be tricky unless you know ahead of time of before you start drafting the budget, what you want to participate in. So instead of just picking a number and sticking with it and kind of choosing learning opportunities, kind of backpedaling to fit that budgeted number, I would suggest doing your research on the opportunities that are available to you and specifically budgeting for the ones that you want to participate in. 
So this is just a really, really, really quick overview. Honestly, this is probably a whole training in and of itself, but I hope this gives you a basic framework to start for budgeting. I actually think it's hard to over-prepare for the budgeting process, as in you may not necessarily need to account down to purchasing a single pen, but at the same time, it really couldn't hurt. Whereas not knowing that information and guessing could really hurt your organization. Okay, so on to question number three, and this one is a very, very, very common question I get. We have a huge social media following, but actually converting these likes and shares into donations has not happened. What can we do? So here's the thing. Likes and shares are vanity metrics, as in they look fantastic, but at the end of the day, if they don't turn into anything else, they really aren't good for very much. If you're struggling to convert social media followers into donors and volunteers, it's most likely because your organization is not actively engaging with these people. Behind the likes and emojis are real people. So if you want their, you know, their two most valuable assets, time and money, then you need to find ways to really engage with them IRL in real life. That could look like messaging followers if you have the capacity to do that, or surveys, inviting followers to events and giving them a special promo code as a thank you for following and sharing your content. You can make little ways of identifying social media followers at events so more people want to get involved in this way. So you know how you can get those little ribbons for name tags and they say things like board member or presenter, staff or volunteer. Maybe you can get some cute ones that say influencer and anyone who engages with your organization on social media gets this special designation. You kind of have to get creative. It takes a lot less energy to click like than it does to actually donate or get involved with the nonprofit. So while it's the very first step, the barrier to the next step is actually quite large. Ideally, you want to move followers off of social media and into your email list so that you can directly engage with each person. It's going to take some trial and error, and honestly, it can be a bit time-consuming, but it's definitely worth the effort. One technique that has really taken off um, is those Facebook fundraisers. They're super easy to set up, and you know maybe you can ask followers to do a Facebook fundraiser, and everyone that does one gets to maybe come to your next gala for free, or you know they can attend your conference for free or any other type of event that your nonprofit hosts. With a Facebook fundraiser, you have a clear call to action that each person can do, and it's a lower barrier than coming out to an event or committing to volunteering. So I know this is going to sound counterintuitive, but the way to turn social media followers and the people who share and like your content into donors and volunteers is actually to get them off of social media. You want to engage with them offline. And if you're curious about how to do that, one of the tricks that I've found has been really helpful as I, you know, learn more about the nonprofit sector and try to figure out what other nonprofits do is to actually become a follower of other nonprofits. So if you know of an organization that maybe is really engaging on social media, 
what you could do is start to follow them and start to engage with their content and see how you're treated. What did they do to kind of nurture you from a follower to a donor or volunteer? And then maybe, you know, take back what you can and implement it into your organization as well. All right, I hope that was helpful. Let's go on to question number four. My organization has had a lot of staff turnover. As the leader, how can I maintain morale in the workplace and not lose more staff? For starters, don't worry. You don't always have control over staff leaving. There's a reason that Gallup calls millennials the job hopper generation, and I really don't mean this in a bad way. In fact, I think it's really smart for young professionals to hop around and find the best fit. From an employer's standpoint, though, I know I would love to hire someone who wants to grow with my company and will stick with me over time. I think the best thing you can do if you aren't doing this already That would be to be really open about staff leaving and have that conversation with the entire team while that staff member is still a part of the team. This allows the remaining staff to see that this person is leaving on good terms. Everyone is celebrating, you know, what they've accomplished and it's just this person's evolving, they're growing and they need to make a change. They aren't leaving because something is wrong. This makes the transition so much easier. Plus, if other staff decide they want a new job, which honestly is inevitable unless they're going to retire with you, they will be open and honest and they may actually give you earlier notice. So just being totally transparent as soon as you can share the news is the best way to handle this. You also want to make sure to have backup systems in place to ensure that all of the work seamlessly gets handed off to the appropriate person until the role is filled. This makes the transition less scary and there's less confusion, so the staff that remain don't feel kind of jostled in the transition. You definitely want to make sure to conduct an exit interview so that you can get more information about why each person who leaves the organization is leaving. For instance, if your nonprofit is a small operation and many staff are leaving because they don't feel like there's opportunity for growth, that's important to know because that can be addressed. There are ways to help staff grow professionally within a small organization. So you can perhaps give them a title bump and start delegating some of your work to them. So staff can get a ton of experience at a small organization. On the other hand, maybe they just feel overworked and stressed out. You know, direct staff such as case managers have a high turnover rate because the work is so hard. The emotional exhaustion these employees face may lead some to find a new job, perhaps in a different role. So you definitely want to have this information on hand so that you can address it. Lastly, you wanna take a look at your retention policies. What incentives do you offer employees to stay for the long term? I know many nonprofits have their hands tied, but there are bonuses you can offer either in money or paid time off. For staff who are in positions that can be stressful and overwhelming, like those case managers I just mentioned, perhaps you can build in additional paid time off, so perhaps they can get an extra week of self-care time. And I'll mention this again, you can give them a little title bump. 
Even just repeatedly reminding staff of how grateful you are to have them on the team can make a huge difference for morale. And actually, you know what? We will be doing a whole episode on HR tips, so stay tuned for that episode in the near future. On to the next question. What is one thing you think nonprofits don't do enough of? I think not enough nonprofits collaborate with other organizations, and until we start to value collaboration as a sector, we won't be able to solve the big, systemic, daunting problems that plague us. So things like climate change, human trafficking, homelessness, hunger, gun violence, the horrific events occurring at the U.S. border. We won't be able to make much progress until we all work together. And interestingly, all of the work that we do in our sector is somehow interconnected. So my nonprofit may focus on climate change and yours may focus on human trafficking. And on the surface, we're like, why would we ever work together? But there really is a link between the two. I was actually just watching a documentary the other day about climate change, and they talked about how the drought in East Africa has caused there to be low quantities of food and water, so the men in the area have to travel to other regions to provide for their families. And the men go off to find food and water, leaving behind women, children, and the elderly. And human traffickers have actually raided these areas and taken advantage of the fact that you know, these women and children and elderly people are left kind of unguarded. Not only that, extreme weather conditions lead to huge populations of migrants, or as some call it, climate refugees, so leaving these individuals vulnerable to trafficking. So my point is, all of our work is inextricably linked, and we can't solve these global issues if we continue to work in our silos. But this isn't just at a global level. Right down to our individual communities, the issues our communities face are all linked. And on the other side of that, organizations that provide access to art and culture and education can help solve the issues that your nonprofit is working on. So I just think that we need to be better about working together. And we just need to start somewhere. We don't have to jump in and propose creating a formal alliance but something as simple as organizations providing trainings for one another, sharing content on social media, just starting to build those bridges is a really great place to start. Okay, I'm going to do one last question, and this is, what do the best nonprofit leaders do differently? This is an easy one. In my opinion, the best nonprofit leaders don't fall into some label like introvert or extrovert or they don't have a certain Enneagram number. The best nonprofit leaders exude a combination of strength and compassion. Strength in knowing when they need to make a decision, when they need to keep everyone in line. I think we all have an image in our heads of like a strong, powerful leader, and usually they're this, you know, powerful person that nobody wants to disagree with. Yet the best leaders also show compassion. They can feel for others and treat everyone with respect. I think all of us have that ability to be both strong and compassionate leaders. We don't have to be at the helm of an organization to embrace these qualities. You have these qualities in you. It's just a matter of cultivating them so you lead with strength and compassion. I'm going to let you think that one over 
because frankly, that is all we have time for today. So for show notes and more information about this episode, please head over to www.thirdsuite.com forward slash 18. And once again, this episode is brought to you by Third Suites Book Club, a free virtual book club for passionate and learned nonprofit professionals. To join today, please visit bookclub.thirdsuite.com. Thank you so, so much for joining me here today. I hope the rest of your day is absolutely fantastic. I will talk to you next week.